were with nightlife when it started uh, six years ago. That's pretty amazing. They put up with me for six years. <laughs> All right. Um, also, you know, next Sunday will be two years since I first came here to be with you guys to preach. Well, I just filled it. Hold up. I filled in for one week. Then it took six months to figure out whether you wanted me back. So, but um, we're going to start a new series next week uh, on Philippians about how to love God's people. Because after this series on a movement, you're going to need some help with that. Um, Because some of you, man, I'm just saying. Um, But this is the last week in this series. I'm Pastor Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here for The Garden. And this is about institution versus movement. We want the church to be a movement. This is the last week. Actually, it's not the last week that you'll get smacked. But it's the last week you'll get smacked over this. Okay? We can't have the mindset of church being an institution because if so, then it's just a matter of time before we lose impact, before we lose credibility, and before our existence is snuffed out. And we're going to talk about today what kills a movement. We've talked about generosity, we've talked about sacrifice, and we've defined movement, we've done different things. Today we're going to define entitlement because I believe entitlement is the mindset that can kill a movement. We certainly know it can kill a country. We certainly know it can kill a company. But entitlement can also kill a movement when it comes to the church. Entitlement is probably the biggest cancer in our society. And by the way, for some of you that think you might have some political arrogance, entitlement is bipartisan. I don't care what party you're involved with, who you vote for, Your side is rife with entitlement. And so what I wanted to do is give some examples as we start off of some political movements or social justice movements that started off as noble causes, but have either ended or begun their descent. My motivation for mentioning these is not to criticize their goals or to be political. It is so that we can have a body of evidence to look at and study so that we can determine one thing. Are we a movement or are we an institution in decline? So the first one I want to look at is the moral majority. The moral majority started, you know, a couple decades ago. It started as a movement of people concerned about the impact of immorality on the future of our nation. And it gave birth to televangelists that suck money out of people and coalitions that were more concerned about winning elections and branding people instead of loving them as Jesus commanded. That's what happened to the moral majority. And what started off as having some impact is now despised by the majority of Americans because entitlement snuck in and people saw it as a way to gain power and to judge. Then there's the idea of the Tea Party, started off with people that were passionate about the legitimate issue of government waste and high taxes, but it turned into a group that is weighted down by people using it as a fundraising vehicle. This one here, they were giving away assault rifles for fundraising and raising money over things like Benghazi. The Tea Party was behind that. 
And so what started off is a really good movement. You know, maybe we recognize there's a bunch of waste. I don't care what party you're from, you could admit there's a lot of waste in government. And it became an arrogant, judgmental thing, a vehicle that many people use to raise money and gain political power. And that has begun its descent because it's no longer focused on its original purpose. Then there's a civil rights movement started with people with courage, some that willing to sacrifice their own lives to expose evil. Medgar Evers, Rosa Parks, and Dr. King. And that was incredible. And it was a time when the civil rights movement was incredibly righteous. Sure, it was made up of flawed people, but the movement itself was righteous, and it was defined by people who are willing to do whatever it took to make sure that equal rights were available. But that, too, was hijacked. <clears throat> this is a true book. They took the civil rights movement, and they admitted it's all about the money. That's not what Medgar Evers, Rosa Parks, and Dr. Martin Luther King wanted it to be. And it became about people who wanted to use it to acquire wealth, publicity, and political power. And then there is the Occupy Wall Street. It started as a way to draw attention to the real legitimate problem of inequality of opportunity in our economic system, but it ended with people that were looking for unearned handouts and an excuse to act like total idiots. I mean, that last picture might be a little humorous, but it's a sad commentary. To me, that's an exact picture of entitlement. As he lays down looking for a job. So you can see that entitlement is not ideological. It's part of human depravity. It's part of selfishness. It's part of arrogance. And entitlement is a dangerous thing. I used to say to my teams when I was coaching football and basketball, when we won a big game, I'd always make sure I'd tell them right after the game, your success reveals what you might be, but your failures reveal what you are right now. Because I said, look, you might feel great after this win, and you might be a good team, but if you lose next week, you know you still have work to do. So success reveals what you might be, but failures reveal what you are. And I don't mean to be pessimistic, but the bottom line is this. If you remain in a situation where you recognize, I am prone to failure, I am prone to not succeeding at times because of my sinfulness, because of my depravity, you have a better understanding of exactly where you are and you can avoid the mindset of entitlement. Entitlement is the condition of having a right to have, do, or get something, the feeling or belief that you deserve to be given something, such as special privileges, that can lead to justification of any behavior. See, if you feel entitled to something, or even someone, remember we talked about that in the story of David, with Absalom, Tamar, and all that, 
When you begin to feel entitled to something, you can justify in your mind just about any type of action. Well, that is mine. So there's no problem with me lying, stealing, judging, being selfish, maybe even immoral. I have no problem with hypocrisy or even laziness because this is mine. And so when we look at what we are, let's look at a couple things about the American church. 1,400 pastors are forced to leave the ministry every month. When we need more people, 1,400 a month in America are leaving the ministry. Now, there might be a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes they feel entitled. Maybe they fall into immorality. Maybe they steal money. Sometimes the church can't afford to pay them. Whatever, there's 1,400 pastors a month leaving the ministry. 15% of churches are growing. And unfortunately, what begins to happen in America is we have this shift toward this megachurch mentality, where you have churches that are five, six, seven thousand 7,000 people, and you have other churches that are struggling. And what begins to happen is what seems to be exciting growth is really just transfer growth. See, if it were really a movement, we'd have 50 or 60% of all churches, no matter what size they are, growing. But right now, only 15% are growing. Only 2.2% of those are growing by conversions. So 98% of the churches that are growing are growing by transfer. Religious, spiritual incest, if you will. There, is that offensive enough? I told you I'd be offensive. A net 10,000 churches have disappeared in the last five years in America. Winning reveals what you might be, but your failures reveal what you are right now. So what is causing this systemic decline in the American church? We defined entitlement for you when people begin to feel like they're justified they are entitled to a certain type of special privilege or possession or people, so much so that they can justify any type of behavior they certainly aren't willing to sacrifice because they feel like, I've given enough. I deserve this. You see, entitlement is birthed by the failure to recall your own deficiencies, your own failures and flaws. Entitlement sees other people merely as obstacles impeding you from what you believe you deserve. Entitlement causes anger toward those people that are impeding you. Selfishness, arrogance, laziness, and hearts that love to judge. Boy, as a church in general, not necessarily just here, but as a church in general, we have that down, don't we? The danger is this, guys. At any moment, a movement that is flourishing, at any moment, a movement that is flourishing can suddenly turn the tide and become an institution. At that point, it's just a matter of time before it loses credibility, impact, and durability. When does that happen to a church? When people begin to see their opinions or their needs as the most righteous ones. 
Well, yeah, but what I want is far superior biblically to what you want. The church had this battle in the mid-70s through even today about worship styles. Both sides said ours is more relevant. Well, ours is more historic. Ours is more able to reach today's. Well, ours is more in keeping with. And so began to have this, this battle between two different generations of believers. Both thought their side was righteous. That's just an example. Let me say something good about Church of the Palms. People who have a preference for more traditional worship on the other side of the yard many years ago made the decision to sacrifice treasure to start a worship service they didn't necessarily like but knew was necessary to reach many more people in the community. So in that aspect, we see evidence of a movement there. But far too many places, what they try to do is, well, let's just blend it. Or let's just choose one or the other and go with it and be really good at it. But what begins to happen, and that's just one example, but people in a church begin to think, what I want, what I believe, what I need is much more godly than what you want, what you think is right, and what you believe. That doesn't really drive anybody to sacrifice, does it? So what is the answer? How can we avoid this plight here in our little corner of the kingdom? And that's where I want you to look like, that's where I want you to look at the garden as this little corner. It's a small little tiny corner of the kingdom of God, right? And how do we make sure that our corner stays movement driven? I have some slides. I'm going to show you some verses. I'm going to read them to you. I'm not going to put them up here. I'm just going to put the passage. James 4, 1 through 3. We preached on this for two weeks, actually, a while ago. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is this not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel with one another. You do not have because you do not ask, and you do not ask to receive because you ask wrongly to spend it upon your own passions. You know, sometimes our lusts can be spiritual, religious, self-righteous, and sinful all at the same time. James says, you guys are fighting because you have this passion, desire for things that you can't have, and you fight with each other so you can get it. Does that sound like a movement? See, this is caused when people forget who they were before grace entered your life. Let me tell you something, guys. We are totally depraved. The human heart, the Scripture teaches us, is so desperately deceptive, you have no idea how often you deceive your own self. How can you feel entitled to anything if you really understand, how can you feel entitled to anything, much less entitled from, to something from the church, how can you feel entitled to anything if you really understand how depraved your heart before grace really is? There's another passage. Romans chapter 3, verse 12 and verse 24, and there's a lot in there, but I kind of boiled it down. Here's what Romans 3, Paul says this, all have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. 
But then he follows up because he goes through like another eight verses and explains how crappy we are. Thanks, Paul. But then in verse 24 he says, but they are justified by his grace as a gift, not something they're entitled to, as a gift through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. So it's not just saying, boy, I suck. It's saying, man, I am depraved, but I am redeemed. And there's another passage in Philippians. This is kind of a good kind of introduction to what we're going to be talking about next week. Philippians chapter 2, 3 through 4. Here's what Paul says. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of only others. The only answer is to assume that others are better than you. And that without grace, you're a total mess. I wish I could use stronger language in here, but I'd get fired. <laughs> I really wish I could just leave an indelible mark on your brain. Wow, that's what I am. And me too, not just you. Right? It's true. And the difference between entitlement and a heart of generosity and sacrifice, because that's what we talked about the last two weeks. What we need is a heart of generosity and sacrifice. And what is diametrically opposed to generosity and sacrifice is the mindset of entitlement. Entitlement says, I am not going to be generous. I am not going to sacrifice. I've done enough. And I'm not getting what I deserve. But generosity and sacrifice is the opposite. So let's look at a couple things. Arrogance drives selfishness. And Christians can be quite arrogant. And then selfishness drives entitlement and envy and passion for what you believe you deserve, right? And entitlement and envy drive lust and sin. So do you see that? Arrogance drives selfishness. It starts with you being arrogant. Hey, I'm good at this, so I want this in return for being good selfishness drives entitlement i am entitled to this because i am good they have what i want what i deserve so i'm jealous of them and you can become very passionate about this can you not like almost so passionate you think you're on the side of good but you're really on the side of you and then entitlement and envy drive lust and sin. And you begin to become obsessed what it is you want, what it is you desire. And James says, why do you fight? Because you are consumed with the lust and desire of what you think you deserve, and you consider yourself better than other people around you. In contrast, humility drives generosity and sacrifice. And guys... Generosity and sacrifice drive movements. Generosity and sacrifice drive movements. See, what we need this series to accomplish in the garden, it needs to change our behavior as a congregation. It needs to change our financial giving. It really does. It also needs to change our time. 
It needs to change our talent serving. It needs to change our ability and willingness to sacrifice for others around us. Because in my humble, convicted, broken-hearted, disappointed in myself opinion, I'm with you here. We're not doing enough. I mean, we point to that once a year. We did Day of Hope. You know, we work with the Jesus film every once in a while, but see, those are events. It's not a lifestyle. You see the difference? Because humility drives a lifestyle of generosity and sacrifice. You know phrases I would love to hear as a result of this series? As a pastor, if you came to me and said, Joe, what kind of phrases would you like to hear from your congregation? What's this series has done? How about this one? Sorry, this week that slot is filled, but can I book you three months from now when we have an opening? Right? No, no, we, we, have, we have the slides covered for the next three months. Can I book you in October? No, we've got all the ushers we need, thanks. Can I book you in October? You see what I'm talking about? Instead of scrambling, like who's going to do I would love for us to be in a situation where time-wise, people are so willing, they're so broken and humble about who they are and the grace they've received, they're willing to do whatever they can to volunteer time to make sure the church has the, man's, the manpower it needs. <coughs> I'd love to hear this phrase. No, listen, three others have already reached out to me to meet that need that I had, but I heard you have one. Can I help you? Hey, listen, I heard you needed help with this. You know, you, no, no, three or four other people already came up to me this week and took care of that, but I heard you have this need coming up. Can I help you with that? I would love for us to get to the point where we come to the church not hoping to receive, whether it be from the pastor or the worship team or the benevolence fund or whatever, that we would be willing to come to church being ready to, what is it that I have the opportunity to be generous and sacrificial with today? <coughs> so the question I ask is, are we part of a movement? Or are we an institution? Being totally honest with you, for me, the jury is still out. I can't definitively say we're an institution because there's some really cool things happening. But I can't necessarily say that we're a movement because I don't see the spiritual and numerical and other types of growth that is associated with that. But at the same time, we have people who really are on board with what it means to be generous and sacrificial. And I say these last things. I hope you guys don't understand. I'm not trying to tell you that I have this down, because I don't. I find myself selfish and arrogant all the time, as you well know. So I'm with you on this, right? We're in this fight together. But the only way to answer the question of whether or not we're a movement or an institution the only way is individually. Are you a net sum taker or a net sum giver? Remember, giving can take on lots of forms. We talked about that when we talked about sacrifice, right? It's not just about money. It's about time, talent, treasure. 
God freed us up to give any type of sacrifice and it would be acceptable. Do you ever feel slighted or cheated? That's dangerous. Or do you see yourself as overwhelmed by the generosity and sacrifice of Christ? What's your first thought when you think of church? We will only be a movement when most of us are overwhelmed with gratitude about what Christ did for us and how we are privileged, guys, privileged to be a part of this amazing movement called the church. 